Good morning, Servants Church. I want to say before I read these uh, the, these verses that this is a section that is particularly difficult for me to teach because this really is about whether or not I'm qualified. So I pray you'd be gracious and this would motivate you to pray for me. And more than that, I pray that you would uh, be um, as excited as I am about seeing more godly leaders raised up in Servants Church. So let's read the verses together and then we'll pray and we'll get into it. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. And we'll look at the first seven verses, but I want to read the first 13 verses today and next week as well. I think you'll see why as we get into it. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the household of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that your love for us doesn't change no matter what our circumstances. And we thank you, Lord, for those good leaders that we have had over the years, those who have helped us to walk with you and and have taught us the way of truth in Jesus. And I pray, Father, that not only for myself that you would help me to be this, but Lord, you would raise up many men who would partner with me for this purpose. We would see a group of men that love you, that want to lead your church and serve your church well. And we pray, Lord, from those men, we'd even see new churches planted, new people sent out, and your name glorified around this city, around this county, around this country, and around this world. And Lord, we pray that you bless this time that we spend in your word, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this very detailed, uh, uh, these very detailed instructions that Paul gives to Timothy. And we're going to kind of summarize these, these detailed instructions into three main categories or three principles that I think that, that we learn uh, about what it means to keeping or, or making, developing pastoral leadership a priority in a local church. And, and before we break down the text, I just need to say that 
This has been one of the most challenging parts about being a church planter. When our family, when my, when Sarah and the kids and I moved to Norwich almost 16 years ago, 15 and a half years ago, we, we never realized how hard it would be to continually raise up godly leaders. And that's not so much because there isn't godly people in the church, but a godly leader, specifically someone who's called towards pastoral ministry or eldership, requires three main things. It requires that they... Uh, that, that, that they are called, that they have a specific calling to, to leadership. It, it, it means that they also have to be uh, of the right character, but they also have to have the right gifting. And we've seen people, men over the years specifically, that w- were had uh, the right gifting, but maybe they needed to grow a little bit more in their faith. Or maybe they had strong character, but they didn't really have the right gifting to be a pastor. Or even some situations where they did have strong character, they did have strong gifts, but their, their desire for ministry or what they wanted to see happen was very different than what God was doing here at Servants. And so that means they weren't really called to do pastoral ministry here. So it's a, it's a bit complex to get all these three things together at the same time. But the good news is what Paul lays out for Timothy is really helps us to know how we can pursue this because it's not just my responsibility to raise up godly leadership it's something that happens as as we as a whole church are pursuing what we've called often that culture of discipleship that that atmosphere where we are are helping one another follow after Jesus. So with that in mind, let's get into it. Let's let's talk about the first way that we need to develop pastoral leadership. And we see this in the first couple verses where we see the need for us to identify men with the right calling. So looking at verse one again, Paul starts off by saying, this saying is trustworthy. And we saw this earlier in 1 Timothy where when Paul uses the same kind of phrases, in fact, he uses this phrase several times in the pastoral epistles. The idea here is that Paul is speaking in apostolic authority and giving a a truth that's good for all churches. So this is not just Paul's opinion about the churches in Ephesus where Timothy is ministering. This is Paul's opinion for all churches. This needs to be a priority. This is a, a, a trustworthy saying. He says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, I want to make it clear that Paul here is writing about a specific office that has specific requirements. And so in a very real sense, these things that we're talking about apply first and foremost to those who would desire to be elders, pastors, Uh, And I think it's important that we recognize, though, that as we talk about these things, hopefully we'll see that the the character requirements for those who are going to be overseers in God's church really are things that all of us as followers of Jesus should pursue. That the idea is, is that these specific requirements need to be there. There needs to be a measure of maturity. You might say there needs to be a trajectory or a movement towards these things, an obvious progress in these things for men to be overseers. Now, right now, you might be listening to this and thinking, hey, wait a second, why are you saying men? What about women? Can't women be overseers? Well, if you didn't listen to last week's message, I I suggest you go back and listen to that, where we talked about Paul making it really clear that there are complementary roles within the church. And one of that is the fact that uh, the, the role of pastor or elder Paul seems to keep exclusively to men. And so following that, we are directing this specifically to men who may aspire to this. 
Uh, it's also important that we recognize that in the New Testament, this this phrase here that's used, uh, this word for overseer, or some translations say bishop, bishop uh, this is really synonymous with when the Bible uses the term pastor or elder. They're all the same thing. In fact, think of it this way. There'll be some notes on the screen. When we talk about overseeing or an overseer, that's speaking of the responsibility of this specific office. And it's something that is an office where those people are directly, those men are directly accountable to Jesus. Now, they're accountable to each other, of course, as well. But in the long term, the ultimate accountability is to Jesus. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over, oversee, to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. In other words, the author of Hebrews says that, that those who are who are overseeing the flock, those elders, those overseers, those men have a specific accountability, a high accountability for your soul. I want you to think about that for a second. Think about what it means to be responsible for somebody else. If, if you've ever been responsible for somebody else, you know there's a certain weight to that. If there's a heaviness to it. It's a difficult thing. And, and Paul, and the author of Hebrews, wants uh, anyone who would be reading that to know that, listen, make sure that you are listening well to your overseers, to your pastors, to your elders, because they carry a heavy burden of your very souls before God. So, so then that corresponds with when we see this phrase bishop, or, I'm sorry, or pastor or shepherd. Uh, and a shepherd or pastor, when that phrase is used in the New Testament, it's, it's more of a job description for this office. In other words, they, those who hold this office are to be instructing people toward Jesus. We see this in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, And Christ gave the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, there's another phrase that's often used, of course, this phrase, elder. And elder speaks of the maturity required for the office. Now, th this is important to understand. We're talking maturity, not necessarily age, as we're, we're, we saw already, or we will see soon in the, in the book of 1 Timothy. Timothy is a relatively young man who is leading these group of churches towards uh, reestablishing their priorities, specifically when it comes to developing leadership. So obviously, it's not necessarily an age, but it is about being a consistent follower of Jesus over a period of time. Uh, in fact, Paul gives a similar instruction to Titus in Titus chapter 1, verse 5. He says, This is why I left you in Crete, speaking to Titus, that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders, notice plural, in every town as I directed you. So elders doesn't speak of just old men. Though I guess that means I qualify. But elders means it speaks of spiritual maturity, how, how they've been walking in the faith. And I have to say, too, some of the men that would be appointed to eldership in, or at least that are described as being appointed to eldership in the New Testament, are both relatively young in age and relatively young in the Lord. So this is really a, about maturity and us understanding maturity. And I think this is important for us to understand that overseers, pastors, elders describe the same position. And, and the thing that's emphasized, especially here in Timothy and the pastoral epistles, is their maturity, is their character, how that's being developed. So Paul says he's writing about the specific office with these specific requirements, the office of pastor, uh, elder, overseer, all the same thing.
but specifically says those who are, if anyone, he says in verse one, aspires to the office of overseer. So the idea there is Paul saying he's looking for men who actually want the responsibility. Now, I have to say, this has been one of the hindrances that we've had at Servants Church for both developing and keeping elders. That it's a, it is a big weight, and sometimes men just don't have the opportunity to carry that way, or sometimes they just flat out don't want the responsibility. And that's a tricky thing, because God says really clearly that men need to want this responsibility. In fact, listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 2. He says, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So the scripture is really clear that anybody who has this position needs to want to be in that position. Now, I need to confess right now, there have been times, usually most Mondays, when I don't want the position. There's a, as I said before, as, as the author of Hebrews says, there's a burden to this. But we're not talking about those who wrestle with discouragement, because we're all going to wrestle with discouragement in our various ministries. But we are talking about a recognition that if, we, if we're going to be in this position, we can't be there because we feel guilty or just because we see the need. We have to feel called and say, God, I want to fulfill that calling. But also it's got to be uh, filled by men. Paul's looking for identifying men who like to work hard. Uh, Notice what he says again in verse 1, that the one who desires this position of an overseer at the end of verse 1 desires a noble task. I think New King James says a good work. And it's this idea that it is work. Uh, uh, Overseeing the church is work. And most of the guys who do it in this country and around the world never get paid for it. They work regular full-time jobs and they, they, they invest much in overseeing the church. In fact, listen to what, again, Paul says uh, to Titus. I'm sorry, not to Titus, sorry. What Paul says to the, in the book of Romans. In describing this position or this gifting of leadership, he says, let him who leads do so with diligence. There's no room in eldership for guys who are lazy. It just doesn't work out because there's extra work involved. Now, at Servant Church, we try to make sure that as we distribute amongst our whole leadership team, and specifically as we will be distributing work among elders, that myself as the person who's paid full time, I carry the lion's share of that work. That's right, and that's natural. But the truth is, if there's going to be elders, they have to be involved in decision making. They have to be involved in oversight of, 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 of people in the church. And I want to give at that point a quick shout out to you men who lead the home groups. Sometimes you do it pretty much on your own. Sometimes you do it in partnership with your wives, but well done you, because it's a big job to do that. And this is the kind of ministry that actually leads towards eldership. But again, Paul also is, is, is in identifying the men with the right calling. He's saying that we want to identify men, and this is a very specific thing towards those who are elders, men who are capable of both studying and explaining truth, the truth of God's word. In fact, what does he say in verse 2? One of the qualifications at the end of verse 2 for an elder is that he must be able to teach. He has to be able to teach. Again, Titus, Paul writes to Titus and, 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 and unpacks this a bit more where he says in Titus 1.9 that he that is an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, I want to be clear at this point as well. 
because sometimes people think, in fact, one of the things is, is sometimes hindered men from being elders at servants church. And this is, might sound a bit cocky, so forgive me if I, if it sounds that way. But some people think that, okay, uh, I, I, I can't be an elder because I can't teach at the same level that John teaches. Now, people have said that. That's not me up and myself. That's just what people have said. Now, there's a couple things to think about this. One is we shouldn't expect anybody who's new to eldership to be able to teach at the same caliber as someone like myself who's been teaching for 30 years. In fact, you might hear that and think, gosh, I thought you'd be better after 30 years. But the point is, is that this is not about uh, someone who has great pulpit skills, someone who's a great orator. No, teaching is about the ability to instruct. And a lot of instruction that happens by elders is not from the pulpit. It can be from the pulpit. It often, it needs to be elders or elder types to be doing the teaching from the pulpit. But often teaching happens in counseling one-to-one. It happens in, in dealing with small groups or dealing with couples. So teaching is more than just pulpit ministry. But the truth is, if someone's going to be an elder, they have to be able to, to grasp, to study well the scriptures, and to explain the scriptures in a way that people understand, even if it's not the most dynamic thing you've ever heard. So it's really important that we understand this church, that when we're talking about developing elders, we're not talking about developing people with strong pulpit ministry. Ministries, or not at least just that. We're talking about developing men who can grasp the Word of God and who can explain the Word of God and share the Word of God with people that helps them move forward in Christ. So this is what we mean by identifying these men, okay? So that's the first thing about developing leaders that we see in Paul's letter to Timothy is that it's about identifying the right men with the right calling. Now here's the second thing. The second thing is how to equip men with the right character or toward the right character. And this is the priority for all of us, but specifically, this is an important priority if we're going to see more godly men develop towards eldership. Now, let's go to verse 2, okay? Paul says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. That's a scary term, isn't it? Above reproach. The idea there is that he can't be accused of practicing something sinful. Now, the the idea here is not so much that he's sinless, but that an elder must be sin-sensitive. And what I mean by that is they have to be sensitive to the sins in their own life. They've got to be the kind of men who are quick to repent, that they're humble enough to take correction when someone calls them on something. They make themselves accountable because they don't want to practice sin. They want to be those who are turning away from sin. And, And this is something that really all of us as Christians need to grow in. But again, elders need to be those who can set example of this. Again, listen to this, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. I'm reading again from the New Living Translation. Paul writes, Dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. This is what I mean by being sin-sensitive. It's not that we're sinless, but that we are cooperating with the and working by the power of the Spirit to put to death those sinful things that all of us are tempted to do. But also it's not about, uh, the next thing we want to see in, in, in this uh, developing the right character is it's about not being, uh, it's not about being emotionless, but it is about being emotionally stable. Listen to some of the things that Paul says again in verse 2. He says, the husband of one wife, which we'll come back to in a minute, he says, they need to be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, which we'll also come back to in a minute. 
Okay, so there, there's an there's a, an idea here that their their mindset needs to be one of sobriety. That they're the kind of men that may feel deeply, might find themselves tempted to get angry or frustrated, but they walk in self control. Now, again, I got to tell you, in thirty plus years of ministry, there's been lots of times when I've gotten frustrated. I remember one specific time in a men's uh, meeting when I was trying to develop men towards this, and I had asked them to do something specific. I said, listen, men, none of them were elders yet, but I said, I really need you guys to partner with me, so here's the deal. I want you to feel like you can bring things to to my attention in front of everybody, things that you're concerned about or you'd like to see us improve upon, and as you bring those things forward, let's write those things down, and let's commit as men to pray for a month and when we come back for our next men meet, next men's meeting we'll talk about it so they all thought that's a great idea they brought up a few things we wrote those things down we came back the next week or the next month and as we talked about these things none of them had really prayed about it or sought God's word about it they just decided they all wanted to have a complaint fest against me. It was a tough thing. A few of you guys were at this meeting. It was a very tough thing. And I, I found myself very frustrated. In fact, I confessed my frustration to those guys and I said to them, listen, I have to tell you guys, I'm very tempted to backslide right now and pound a few of you in the face. I was thinking, feeling that way. I confessed it. We had a bit of a cry. We had a bit of a laugh. We moved on. The point is, it can be very difficult to deal with things in the lives of God's people, to help God's people move from death to life, grow in their walk with Jesus. There are going to be times when people can be utterly frustrating. Guess what? If you're going to deal with those people, you got to have a measure of emotional emotional stability. You have to be able to handle that kind of pressure. This is what Paul's getting at in mentioning these kind of commands. We have to act in such a way that's honorable, that's appropriate in dealing with these things. Again, it's not being emotionless. It's not acting like, oh, my my skin's so thick, nothing ever hurts my feelings. This is not this is just not true. But it is about us having a thick enough skin so that we don't react when people hurt us and a tender enough heart that we want to weep with those that weep, rejoice with those that rejoice, and we endure with those that need our help, which is the whole body. So so it's, uh, we're talking about equipping men towards being emotionally stable, but not emotionless, okay? Again, this fits with what God calls all of us as believers to be like. Listen to this. Uh, in, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and then 20 and 22, it says, Paul says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves, punching somebody in the face. Uh, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Here it is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no law against these things. So what Paul's saying there is as we walk in God's Spirit, we're able to not be reactive, but responsive in love with joy and self-control and long-suffering towards those around us. An elder or a pastor needs to be the kind of man who's exemplifying those things, who's growing in those things. All right? Lastly, look at some of these other things. Look at verse 3. It says that he should not be a drunkard. He should not be violent but gentle. I kind of referred to that earlier. It says that he should not be quarrelsome. In other words, he wants to win people, not win arguments. Um, he not he should not be a lover of money. And all we have to do is watch religious television and know that as often in the case, people who are behind pulpits leading churches often display that they're lovers of money. 
The point here is, is that in, in equipping men towards the right character, we're not wanting them to be pleasureless. Oh, they have to be poor. Oh, they can't ever enjoy a beer. None of that kind of stuff. What it's saying here is they need to be free from addiction and greed. That they can't be those who are addicted to things. They can't be those that are swayed by alcohol, drugs, uh, pornography, all these things they need to be free from. And also they can't be greedy. Uh, it, it, it is easy, especially I have to say in the U.S., to be motivated to, to get a job in ministry because it pays pretty decent. But that's never can, that can never be our motivation for ministry. In fact, again, this can never be our motivation for life for any of us that are believers. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says to all those that would read this. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, the author of Hebrews is saying, you have Jesus, you don't need really much anything else. And so again, the idea here is not perfection, but it is about progress for those who desire a place of leadership. That how we develop that is to equip men for with that right character. They're not sinless, but they're sin sensitive. They're not emotionless, but they're emotionally stable. They're not pleasureless, but they are free from addiction and greed. I hope that makes sense. Now, lastly, in verses 4 to 7, here's the third principle I see for making the development of pastoral leadership a priority. And that is, we need to be discipling men into right relationships. Now, look at verse 2 again. Paul, one of the first things Paul says when he talks about being above reproach is that the elder must be the husband of one wife. Now, I, I take this to mean that uh, not that he has to be married. Obviously, Timothy was a single man. Paul was a single man. But those that are married need to be have biblical marriages. They, they need to be what you might call one a uh, one-woman man. And, and I would say that in, in two ways. I think that means that if a man has been uh, uh, divorced as a believer, especially in an unbiblical way, he's probably not qualified to be an elder. Now, I know that sounds harsh and it might be a bit difficult to deal with. And we take these things on a case-by-case basis. But the truth is, there's something about a man developing a faithful relationship with his wife that actually prepares him to be faithful to the bride of Christ. In fact, really, the truth is, <clears throat> if, if uh, we are called as elders, as pastors, to love our brides the way Christ loves his. Uh, again, this is the message that we have for all of us as men, but especially for those who desire to be elders. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. I have to say, this is a lesson that I've been learning, uh, present tense, the hard way. It's very easy when you're in ministry to be consumed with the ministry and neglect your wife. The pastor I first served under wisely used to say to me, John, don't let ministry become your mistress. Make sure that you're committed to Sarah first. And by the grace of God, I'm striving that direction. But also, he he talks about, uh, uh, in verse 4, this need for us to be providing a loving and respectable authority in our homes. In other words, those of us who have children need to be those who rule them well or manage them well. Look at verse 4. He says, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. 
Now, the issue here is not just that your kids jump every time you say jump, because that could, that's, not, that's not necessarily a loving authority. But the issue does mean that your kids, your children, if you have children, respect your authority as the man. And ladies, let me, let me encourage you in something. This doesn't undermine your authority as the mother. So if you women are listening to this and you're saying, gosh, it sounds a bit sexist. It's not about not that women don't have authority over their children. It's about parental authority being exercised well and being initiated and demonstrated first and foremost by the husbands. Especially those, again, who desire to be um, elders, that they need to manage their households well. In fact, listen to this uh, again from uh, Paul's letter to Titus. It says, An elder's children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. This is really tricky. Is Paul saying that if a, if a, if, if a pastor has adult children who aren't walking with Jesus, he's disqualified? I, I, personally, I don't think so. And I'm not just saying that because of my own personal struggles. I'm saying that because if we believe a biblical gospel, we know that we can't believe the gospel for our children. They have their own choice to make in that matter. What this is talking about is if, if, if children are still remaining at home, that those that remain at home need to recognize that their parents love them, have authority over them, and they're submissive to that. One of the, the ways that we've tried to make that happen is there's been lots of times when our kids didn't want to go to church and we said, you know, sorry, if you're not sick, this is what we do as a family. We, we make church a priority. Even if you don't believe, we make church a priority. Another way that we've tried to exercise that is I've tried to be someone in, in, in the household who, who is quick to demonstrate what it means to be a Jesus follower to my children. And, and what that often means is I, I'm one that has to go to them and say, you know what, I messed up there. I shouldn't have lost my temper. Uh, or I, I didn't sit, keep my word when I said I'd do something, but I didn't do it. I really need to ask for your forgiveness. That I need to model that humility before my children. That's part of leading well. That's part of providing a loving authority to your children. And so the, the point is, is that again, Paul's saying there's something about um, how we love our families. In fact, uh, this discipling men into right relationships means we're teaching men to be maturing in their love toward their families. Because really, what is the church? The church is a family of families. So those who lead it mean to be those who know how to love their families well and lead their families well, that they're growing in that way. Now, also, if you look at verse 5, this means this includes loving your families or maturing in loving uh, love towards your families means that you provide uh, appropriate care. Uh, again, look at verse 5. It says, um, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Interesting, this word for care, it's a word that's used in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus is talking about the Good Samaritan. And you know that story, how the Good Samaritan takes care of the, the, the man that's been injured, uh, injured on the road to, to Jericho. He, he picks him up. He takes, he, he takes him to a hotel or an inn. He bandages his wounds and he leaves enough money with the innkeeper to make sure that 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 injured man is taken care of and so this is the idea of of providing for it's the idea of making sure their needs are met in fact we'll read later on in 1 timothy 5 that this is a hugely important thing as far as god's concern listen to this he says those that would be believers those who won't care for their relatives especially those in their own household have denied the true faith 
such people are worse than unbelievers. That's pretty heavy. Now, some people have taken that standard that we are meant to provide. And this is talking about, of course, uh, material provision, that we need to make sure that our families have a roof over their heads and food in their mouths and clothes on their back, that, that those basic necessities are made. But they've taken that and they've said, okay, as long as I'm pursuing those material things, then I'm doing what this requires. But actually, there's more to it than that. It also means, especially for those who desires to be elders, that we are setting the pace of leadership or what it means to, to grow grow spiritually, to provide for our families some good spiritual direction. There's been times when some of my children have gone to other youth groups besides what we had in the church. Not because our youth group was insufficient, because our youth workers rock, and they've done a great job in the past and in the present, but there's been they've needed more than what we could provide. So we happily allowed them to go to another good gospel-centered church to their youth group. That was not me not making, uh, that was not me uh, lacking in providing for my children. That was me providing for my children or helping my children get what they needed spiritually besides what they got from from me and besides what they could get from our church. So the idea is that we, we, we make that a priority. We want to provide appropriate care for our children. So, so this is what we mean by discipling men into the right relationships. First and foremost, it means maturing, developing maturing love towards family, but also means developing maturing love towards God. If people are going to lead God's people, they ought to love God, right? Seems like common sense, but look at verse 6. It says, he, that is this elder, must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now, what does he mean by recent convert? Literally, it means he must not be newly sprouted. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen an acorn when it falls into the ground and, and then you see maybe a, a, a bit of time later, maybe a, a year later, and you can see there's a sprout in the ground of a young oak tree. And you can see by the leaves, that is an oak tree. It's a new oak tree, newly sprouted. In other words, you can identify the legitimacy that that's an oak tree. It's going to be strong one day. It's going to be able to withstand storms. But the truth is, until that 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 little sprout grows up and it's gone through a, a few seasons of storms, it's not strong enough to handle what it needs to handle. In other words, the identity of the plant can come really early on, but the strength of the plant or the sprout ha- it requires several seasons of storms to 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 provide or to develop it into something strong. So, so what what Paul's saying here is a new convert again. This is a relative idea, but the truth is the maturity comes through difficulty. Maturity really comes through us, uh, th- comes through obedience over time, because the more time passes, the more of the different kinds of struggles that we, uh, we go through and, and the more ways that we mature. And so really, it can't be a new believer. In fact, specifically, Paul says that there's a, there's a problem here with a new believer being tempted towards something uh, or, or tempted in the same way or condemned in the same way the devil was condemned. Uh, and, and I want to talk about that for, for, uh, for a minute. But first, let me say this too. This is also, maturity is also about not giving ourselves too much credit. Notice it said in verse, uh, in verse 6, um, 
and said that he he may become puffed up with conceit. One of the things that can happen, this is something that happened to me uh, at an early stage of my Christian walk, is I had this radical conversion experience, and I went through some pretty heavy things pretty early on, but I also uh, was was growing in some pretty radical ways. And, and uh, man, people in the church noticed, the pastor noticed, the pastor even made comments about me during the sermons. And I thought, man, I rock. I was getting so puffed up with how much growth I had acquired. And man, that's a dangerous place to be. And so really as new converts, we need those seasoned saints to come alongside new converts and say, you're doing well, bro, but no, it's God, not you, because it's so easy for us to get puffed up. In fact, Paul Paul never got to a place where he felt like he attained. Paul never got to a place where he would pat himself on the back for his growth. In fact, listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. Paul said, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, what Paul says is, look, I'm never to that place of perfection. I'm pressing on to that place until I see God face to face. Paul was humble because Paul knew he had not yet arrived. This is so important for anyone who's going to be in leadership, specifically eldership, to understand. They have a lot more growing to do. Now, this condemnation of the devil, this is interesting. Um, so, so there's this great uh, text in uh, Isaiah chapter 14, where Isaiah is talking about the king of Babylon. And traditionally, this has been applied to the, um, to the devil. In fact, somewhat so because it uses this word Lucifer, this name Lucifer. The king of Babylon was called Lucifer. That probably wasn't the king's real name. It's a word that means light-bearing one. So it's the idea that the king was supposed to be someone who was to shed light on those that were uh, uh, under him, but he didn't. He instead he was puffed up with pride, and that would lead to the downfall of Babylon. And so with that, a lot of theologians have applied this to Lucifer or Satan or the devil. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 14. You king of Babylon said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the star, stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now, you can see why that was applied to Satan. This seems to be the kind of attitude he had when he got booted out of heaven. And the point is, when we are puffed up with pride, we're acting devilish. And there's no room for pride in the ministry. In fact, I have to say one of the great benefits of being in ministry is it's humiliating. Uh, that You feel every sin, every failure. This is why most Mondays, a lot of ministers want to quit because they feel like, man, that just was not good enough. It wasn't up to God's standard. I'm not who I'm meant to be. And there's something healthy about that. There's something healthy for us to recognize. I don't have it takes what it takes to do what God's people need. And that's the whole point. As ministers of the gospel, we point past ourselves and we point to Jesus. This is why it's so important that a, a, a new convert not be allowed to have too much responsibility in ministry because he won't point past himself. He'll have a tendency to point to himself. So, 
maturing toward in love towards God is 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 also maturing in dependence towards God. God, I want to love you because you and you alone can take me from the point of first believing to the point where I'm made perfectly like Jesus. Now, lastly, quickly, what does he say? He's talking about now in verses 2 and verse 7, talking about uh, uh, that, that discipling men into right relationships means we're discipling men towards maturing love towards outsiders. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 2. One of the things that, that Paul says that elders need to be is the, uh, toward the end of verse 2 is hospitable. And the word hospitable literally means to love strangers. That's what it means. We tend to think of hospi- hospitality as as making a nice meal when someone comes over or making them feel at home that like they can relax. And those are great things to do. That's a great way to show hospitality. But the idea of hospitality is not having your buddies over for a barbecue. The idea of hospitality is, is wanting to develop new relationships. You invite strangers into your home. You, you, you make them feel like family because you want them to be family, specifically in the family of God, in the household of faith. This is a requirement for those who are going to be elders. So let me say this to you. If you're listening to this and you have a desire to teach God's word, you want to be used uh, by God to, uh, with the knowledge that you've gained in the scripture, I say good on you. That's a great desire. But let me ask you something. Are you willing to be hospitable? Because if you know God's word well, but you don't want nobody in your business, then guess what? You're not qualified to teach. You're really not. Because if you're not willing to open your life up to people, guess what? You're really not going to have any credibility to show them the life of Christ. We have to be hospitable. It's a really important aspect of being leaders. Now, that being said, you can't come to my house for the next week or so because I'm in isolation. But I love you and we will invite most of you over soon or, or, or at least a family at a time. The truth is this is something that we've, we've gained so much blessing from is being hospitable. I've learned more about being a pastor from having people over for dinner than I have in all my years of theological study. Those things kind of give me a framework to communicate the gospel, but being hospitable gives me the opportunity to demonstrate the gospel. Now, If you go to verse 7, notice what he says. Moreover, he must be, that is an elder, must be well thought of by outsiders. And it's really obvious in this context, outsiders is talking about unbelievers. Now, let me again ask you men specifically, you, you, you men who desire a place of leadership or feel like maybe you have a gifting towards leadership. You see things that, that, that can be righted or needs that can be met better. That's awesome. And I hope that you come forward in that. But let me ask you something really clearly. Okay. Do people who aren't Christians know that you are Christians? And those that know that you are Christians, do they think you're the kind of Christian that makes them interested in Christ? And I don't say that to be condemning, but I think it's important that that we especially maybe uh, have our neighbors, our unbelieving neighbors, know that we're believers. Now, maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh man, uh, walking well outside, I don't know if anybody at work knows I'm a Christian and the way I act at work, I don't know if anybody, I want anybody to know that I am a Christian. I mean, one of the reasons, uh, me personally, John Brown doesn't have Christian bumper stickers on his car because I ain't the greatest driver. But really, let's be honest, that's a poor excuse. The truth is I should become a better driver. The truth is we should become better neighbors. The truth is we should become better employees. And especially if we desire this place of eldership, of leading God's people. That people would see us as those who are pressing on to know God, who want to exemplify the gospel and how we work and how we treat our families. 
Maybe you've been one who, who uh, your neighbors heard you yelling at your kids, maybe saying some words that you probably shouldn't say in front of children. What do you do in that situation? Do you just think, oh, forget it. I've just automatically been disqualified from leadership? No. You go to your neighbors who have heard and you apologize to them. You apologize to your kids first and foremost, say, sorry, I shouldn't have said such things. And then you go to your neighbors and say, hey, I don't know if you heard, but if you did, I just want to say I apologize because I'm a Jesus follower and I need to do better than that. And and I just, I'm, I'm trying and asking God to help me do better than that. So forgive me for being that example. Now they're going to look at you like you're nuts, but guess what? You've taken a step towards credibility. You've taken a step towards being those who are well thought of by outsiders. But also listen, uh, there's, a, there's a great scripture where Paul commands us again to all believers. Listen to this in Colossians chapter 4. Paul writes, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each one. See, one of the things about walking well with outsiders that you you learn and you need to mature in if you're going to be in leadership is that one Witness doesn't fit all. In other words, each relationship is unique. Each way to testify to each person who's not yet a believer is different. Now, there are some some of you are listening to this, and you're not yet a believer. You're wondering uh, uh, what I mean by this. But maybe some of you have had experience, you who aren't yet Christians, with Christians. Maybe you've had some good experiences that have motivated you to listen to this sermon online. But maybe if you had some bad experiences and you're hoping that maybe this will make up for it. Either way, I want you to know if you're not, if you're on the outside still of the family of God, God wants you on the inside. And I want to apologize for myself and for anybody else who may have, well, made it a little harder for that to be. We want to point past ourselves and point you to Jesus. Lastly, notice that Paul says in verse 7 that one of the reasons uh, that this is so important, that that elders need to be well thought of by outsiders, is so they don't fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Here's what the enemy wants to do to you. You who would desire to be a leader, even just you who would desire to be a witness, the enemy wants to ensnare you in a place where you feel so defeated and so unable to be a witness that you just give up. That's not what God has for you. I want to encourage you, as, as someone who's also in process, as a, as a fellow sinner and saint, God is able and willing to, to bring the change that needs to be brought about in us so that we can be the witnesses we need to be. So with that in mind, let's pray. Let's pray that God would develop men into elders. As we're going to see next week as we talk about de- deacons, let's pray that God would develop men and women to be deacons. But let's all of us develop this culture of discipleship where we see we are the kind of family that leaders are built up in. Father, I thank you so much that you can do this. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow as this church. And it's really tricky, Lord, especially in these days of lockdown and these days of limited uh, uh, personal fellowship with each other. But Lord, that we know that nothing's impossible for you. And I thank you so much for the faithful men in our church who uh, uh, who lead uh, home groups well, for the faithful men and women who serve in practical ministries well. And we pray, Lord, you continue to help us to grow and that we would indeed be a church that raises up leaders, sends out leaders, and brings glory to your name through this. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.